Here we go again. Again. Welcome to the Movie Ladder Podcast, where we are all about cinematic connections. Each week, we're discussing a movie that connects to the movie from the previous week's podcast. My name is Zach Brooks, and I am joined by... Av Sedensky. And uh, Brenda Fitzpatrick stepped on the Labor Day landmine. He will not be here to talk about Tropic Thunder with us. He has the week off. We gave him the week off this week. A well-deserved week off for Brendan. Yes, he's working so hard. Uh, but Av and I are here. Last week we talked about uh, Apocalypse Now, and this week due to the connection of uh, basically a movie that's parodying Apocalypse Now, we will be discussing Tropic Thunder, much funnier movie than Apocalypse Now is, I would say. Uh, let's say let's say funnier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not as depressing as Apocalypse Now. I mean, that's a better way to put it. Um, but uh, yeah, then at the end of the podcast, we will go through uh, suggestions from you, the listeners, and us, your hosts, as to what our next movie connection should be. So we'll be spoiling what there is to spoil about Tropic Thunder. So if you haven't watched it yet, you can skip ahead to the time that is put in the description of this podcast. Uh, or you can just pause this, go watch Tropic Thunder, although you do have to pay to rent it. Doesn't seem like it's streaming anywhere that I could find, and uh, then come back and listen to this discussion. So we'll try to be as funny as uh, as Tropic Thunder was. I think it's the idea, right? Uh, I hope at least that's funny. Yeah. So uh, and uh, yeah, so Tropic Thunder was suggested by a couple of different people. It was suggested by by Zvi and also by my brother Aaron. Um, both just noting that this movie is very much inspired by the making of Apocalypse Now. Um, and so that's why we picked it. And uh, before we get into that, uh, of course, you can uh, get at us on social media at Ladder Movie on Letterboxd and Twitter, the movie ladder at gmail.com over email. So once we do pick our movie for next week, send in your feedback to those spots and your next movie connection. All right. Av, how are things? How was your Labor Day? Um, my Labor Day was very nice. Um, a good friend of mine got married over this weekend, so we had some social distancing uh, celebratory get-togethers, and it was very nice, um, and we wish them the best. Nice. Yeah, that's that's fun. Uh, did you pump this podcast to everybody about our Apocalypse Now podcast while you were at your – Oh, absolutely. Uh, interestingly, his name uh, – my friend's name is Aton, which is also the name of the screenwriter, Aton Cohen, who wrote Tropic Thunder. Oh, I did not realize that. Okay, nice. Um, yeah, well, it's funny. Tropic- he uh, the, the screenwriter's name is Aton Cohen, which I I joked in my head is kind of just like a more orthodox version of Ethan Cohen, the the Cohen brothers guy. <laughs> yeah, it's like e- Ethan and Aton are like the anglicized and Hebraic versions of each other, and then like Cohen is like the C O H E N is like the more traditional spelling that more traditional Jews would use. And then Cone is kind of like an Americanized version. I think that mm. um, you'll see more secular people have adopted over the years uh, while still retaining some Jewish element in it. So it's funny that like, they're kind of like exact parallels on both the first and last name. Oh yeah. I, uh, I think I noticed that name in the credits for this movie and I just assumed it was Ethan Cohen. I didn't even ah. notice that it was Aton. Yeah. No, it's, he's an Israeli screenwriter. Yeah, uh, uh, best known for Madagascar, Escape to Africa, and Men in Black 3. So maybe one of those will be our choice for next week. Maybe. Uh, and uh, also, uh, Justin Theroux was a uh, one of the screenwriters of this movie, best known as Kevin Garvey on The Leftovers. Oh, interesting. I didn't even notice that he was on there. Okay, I see that now. And was married to Jennifer Aniston, I think, or was dating Jennifer Aniston, um, who was in Murder Mystery, which I happened to... Uh, unfortunately watch this week 
Oh, yeah. It looks like they were married in 2015 and separated in 2017. So maybe yeah. they're st- maybe they're still technically married. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that. OK. Yeah. So, uh, well, speaking of murder mystery, which was a movie I watched this week, uh, what was the best thing that you watched this week of? I watched a lot of movies this week. I really kicked it up a notch. I watched, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six movies this week. Uh, six, including Tropic Thunder. Um, let's see, what was the best? It's hard to say what's the best. Like in an objective sense, probably the best movie I watched this week was Gone with the Winds. Um, <laughs> but I don't really want to talk about Gone with the Wind. I don't think I have anything new to say. I've um, never seen Gone with the Wind. Is it? Wor- it's pretty long, right? It's like is it like almost four hours long? It's almost it's almost four hours. Um. And, you know, it's 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 very well made. Um, the the two main acting performances are very good. And Scarlett O'Hara is just like a very like almost modern character and that she's like this like feminist antihero, um, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and, you know, all the all the racial stuff and problems you've heard about Gone with the Wind over the years are right. are all true. Um I actually I watched it on HBO Max and they like added like like in, the movie starts with like a 10 minute introduction of someone explaining like why Gone with the Wind is problematic, but why it's still important. Oh, that's right, because they took it down. I remember them taking it down and I kind of forgot that they added it back with uh, with that warning on there, the trigger warning on there. Yeah. Um, so I guess I did talk about Gone with the Wind as my recent watch, but that's fine. Uh, what else did you what did you watch that is uh, that you have more to add? I saw I saw two Hitchcock movies um, that I hadn't seen before. I saw both Strangers on a Train and The Birds. Um, and I enjoyed both, although I like Strangers on the Train, I would say considerably more. Um, what was interesting to me about both of them is that they were both very different than what I expected. I mean, I was obviously like somewhat familiar with both just because of pop culture mm-hmm. Um and previous to this, the only other two Hitchcocks I've seen are Rear Window and Psycho. And so Strangers on a Train, like I just kind of always in my head assumed was like it, it starts and like these two guys like hatch a plot together on a train. And then like the movie was going to be about like each of them trying to, you know, murder the other person's significant other or whoever it was. Um, and it turns out it's a very different where it's just like one guy is like this crazy psychopath stalker. Um, the other guy, he's like, oh, no, that's a terrible idea. I'm, I'm definitely not going <laughs> to murder. You know, I'm not going to be involved in this. Um, and then but just like the, the the bad guy like just continues to pursue it, mm-hmm. uh, which is so it made it very different. Um, the birds was similar, was different from what I expected in the way that Psycho was in that there's like a whole plot to the movie that like I just like didn't expect. I just assumed the whole movie was about like this, the birds attacks. Mm hmm. I and think like, that was how I felt when I saw it, too. I was, yeah, I was expecting one thing, and it was completely different. Yeah, it's really just, like, it's this entire movie about, like, this woman, and it's, like, the, the movie doesn't really make sense, like, other than the bird. I mean, the birds part obviously doesn't make sense either. Um, but, like, her whole storyline with this guy who she meets in the bird store, and she, he plays a trick on her, and now he's she's going to, like, stalk him and go to his house and leave the birds there. And like, it just it's, it was very, very weird. Um, and it reminded me of Psycho in that that also, like, very unexpectedly to me had, like, a half hour or so storyline that of all these different things that happen with this woman and how she gets to the hotel before the hotel part starts. I just assume that the whole movie takes place at the, at the Bates motel. Right. And then I, I always feel like the second half of the movie, I kind of forget how much of the second half of the movie in psycho is, uh, is the plot that it is. It's just like, it, it's not at all what I would I expected when I first saw that movie. 
Yeah, so that has been, other than Rear Window, which is exactly how I expected it and is my favorite of the four so far, um, all the other three have been very different from what I expected, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think I actually enjoyed, ended up enjoying Strangers on a Train more the way it was because it makes more sense than that, like, literally two strangers on a train would, you know, come up with this crazy plot together and trust each other that, like, right. the other person's going to go through with it and, like, not going to turn them. Like, you know, that's that's very extremely risky. Um, this week, actually, you know, it, it was it made more sense. And, like, the, the, the guy forgot his name. Um, let me look it up. Um, he's, like, extremely menacing in this movie. It was really scary. Um, it's been on my rewatch list for a while, Strangers on a Train. I've, I probably haven't seen it in 10 years. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, it, through, I watched a bunch of Hitchcock movies earlier this year, but that was one of the ones. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so his name is Robert Walker. Um, he actually died like, only a few months after Strangers on a Train came out. And he was 32 or 33 years old when he died, and he had already been married three times. Oh, he's uh, three times as many, or three times more than, than I've been married, and he's younger than me. Yeah, so, so yeah, this guy seemed to really uh, have – he lived life. Uh, <laughs> he was an actor, he was an alcoholic, and he died at 33, sadly. Um, why are you watching so many Hitchcock movies? Um, that's a good question. Um, my friend Jared Jerome, who you may know from various 32 fans podcasts, um, sent me a list of his rankings of Hitchcock and I figured I would try, um, watching some of them. I also came up with a new way to choose which movies I'm going to randomly watch just because it can be so overwhelming to, yep. to, to find something when you have like hundreds of movies that you could see. Um, so I started with Gone with the Wind and then like I went on like a random number generator site mm-hmm. and picked a number between like 5 and 15 and I got the number 12 and I decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump 12 years and choose a movie from that year at a time. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why. So from 39 I went to 51 and chose strangers on a train and then from 51 i went to 63 and chose the birds and then from 63 i went to 75 and chose uh nashville which i so are the movies connected that you choose or are they just uh, anything that meets that criteria yeah i'm just like i'm just like going into the year and then like i have a i have like a spreadsheet of like all the movies that i want to see which is like has like a thousand movies on it you should just import that into letterboxd you can import watch lists yeah i could do that um yeah i could do that um, so yes, I just go to my watch list and then I, uh, I pick a movie from that year, um, which at least like narrows it down to like five or 10 right. is, instead of hundreds. Um, so I'm, I'm in the middle of Nashville right now. So we won't, uh, we won't talk about that yet until I finish it. I still never that, seen Nashville. I know it's got a huge cast and that's another one that's been on my watch list. It's, it has a huge cast. And frankly, like I'm like, I'm like halfway through and it's just like, it's really hard. It's been really hard for me to track like who everyone is and like how everyone connects. Um, I know I know Boogie Nights is like very heavily inspired by it. Um, okay. and it's a similar thing, just like this big, like sprawling cast. Um, although there, like it's not as hard because like everyone is much more obviously connected because like they all work together doing the same thing here. It's like you'll have a scene on in this part of town and then like you cut back across the other part of town. And it's like everything is kinda like going on simultaneously. It's a little haphazard, but uh, maybe it'll start to come together a little bit for me. Um, it's it's very stylistic and very cool, and I could certainly see how ahead of its time it was because it's 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 a really it's really an ensemble cast and like all these like different interconnected stories. Yeah, I remember when Avengers: uh, Infinity War was announced, they called it like the Marvel version of Nashville was what it was going to be because it had so many different Marvel characters in it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So uh, I'm gonna finish that, and then I'm gonna go to 1987, and I think I'm gonna choose uh, Predator, which is the movie from last week that I. Uh, 
I put forward into the final three for Movie Ladder for this week, and it didn't right. get picked. So uh, my revenge will be sweet. Nice. Yeah, I like that idea. I mean, that's why you know the idea of the Movie Ladder came from, like, I had this ever-growing list of movies I want to watch or rewatch, and I was like, well, what if they're just kind of connected in some way? And Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I, I end up rewatching stuff. It's just like this podcast, right? You end up rewatching stuff. You end up, uh, but if you did it and you said it's only stuff from my watch list that I've never seen before, that's one really good way to knock uh, knock some movies off your list. Yeah. So we'll um, see. I'm, so I'm planning to get back all the way to 2020 with this number system, and then I'm going to pick a new number and go in reverse. Reverse so, order. I like that. Yeah. Um, so there is we'll a, see how there's a, a not to plug another podcast, and it's I think it's one that follows us. It's like win win lose and pod or something. I, I can't find the name right now, but they follow. I know that they follow the movie ladder Twitter account, and I was looking at what they do, and they basically do something similar where they have a watch list of all these movies that they choose from and. You know, kind of like how we do. Instead of doing connections, though, they do a random number generator, and whatever number comes up, that's the movie they pick for the next week. Got it. Yeah, there's a there, there's a bunch of uh, podcasts I listen to that kind of do something like that, where they they'll they'll be doing like there's a movie podcast I listen to that covers like the Empire Top 500 or the IMDb Top 250 or the AFI Top 100. Um, and now then once they've established that like body of 100, 250, 500 movies, then week to week they just choose at random from whatever they haven't covered yet. Yeah, I think that's what Unspooled does also, which yeah, I've been it, listening to on and off depending on yeah. when. I- so Unspooled is the AFI one I was referring to, but the, there's a there's a few of the, there's the uh, as I said IMDb Top 250, the Empire 500. There's all you know all these lists that people make, and then people do podcasts to cover the whole list. Um, yeah, I, I I feel like I would hate that because like you could just like end up on something that you really don't want to watch that week. But I guess that's kind of what forces you to watch some of those movies that you would otherwise never choose on your own. Right. I mean, it does kind of make it tough. Um, I don't know. I guess all those podcasts make it tough on the listener because you got to I mean, just like this one, you, you end up watching something and you're not in any control of it. But it is kind of nice when it's like, all right, next week we're watching Apocalypse Now. And uh, then you're just watching Apocalypse Now to yep. listen to the podcast. Uh, sometimes podcasts send you to Murder Mystery, which uh, another podcast covered recently. And I finally watched that. That is not the best thing I watched this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so actually, speaking of creative ways to pick a movie stay on another tangent i did see letterboxd uh retweeted somebody who said their challenge for the day was to go to your letterboxd watch list and go all the way to the very beginning of your letterboxd watch list and watch the movie that was the first movie you ever added to your letterboxd watch list so um i did that i haven't watched the movie yet but i looked at what my first movie was that i added on letterboxd and uh this must have been when i started my letterboxd account because it is war machine uh, starring Brad Pitt, the Netflix movie from 2017. Yeah, so I saw that. Yeah, I, I don't think I mean I don't it's think I, I never heard anything about it, but I think yeah, I added not. it to my watch list because I uh, it had come out and I was like, oh, I want to see that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't need to see that. It's yeah. uh. But, it's, the next one is Nocturnal Animals, which uh. I didn't really like that, that either. <laughs> that was very polarizing. I remember. So. Yeah. So Nocturnal Animals is like there's a story and then there's like a, there's a story within the story. Cause it's like about a guy writing a book called nocturnal animals. Oh, okay. And like the story, the story in the book that they show, like they show like the story happening in the book. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, I think it shows it visualize him visualizing it. Um, that story I thought was really good. Like it's like kind of like a thriller. Um, the actual story of the movie, I did not care for at all. Um, I, I just opened up my litter box watch list and it says there are no films in this list. So, Oh, you don't uh, have anything on your letterbox? So I, I completed the game. Oh, good job. That's like when uh, you get inbox zero, basically. Yeah. 
All right, um, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll do as you said, and I'll take my Google Doc and upload it into Letterboxd. Yeah, they have like an import thing, and yeah, I think I see, they yeah. give you a format. You probably can do it so you can add it by date too, so it actually keeps them in some sort of order. I would assume. Um, I'm going to do it as we uh, as we talk. All right, and let's see. So the Movie Ladder podcast watch list, which is the list that I put every connection suggestion that gets uh, sent into us that we that we talk about. I do put that on the Movie Ladder podcast letterbox to watch list. So I'm going to the last page of that right now. Let's see what the last the first movie added to our watch list was. Oh, that's The Master. So uh, if anybody wants to watch The Master this week, that's a good reason to watch it. Yeah, The Master is great. Yeah, probably much better than War Machine. So. All right. Well, uh, the best movie that I watched this week. So I only watched a couple. Um, one of which was Murder Mystery, which I've brought up so many times on this podcast. Uh but uh, I did watch Heart of, uh, Hearts of Darkness, which was about the making of Apocalypse Now. And I think we'll get into that a little bit as we're talking through Tropic Thunder. I want to touch on some stuff from that movie. Okay. Um, so, But I will say the best movie I watched uh, is a 2010 film by Taika Waititi called Boy. And it's one I had never even heard of. I didn't even realize he had any movies prior to what we do in the shadows. I thought that was his first. Um, and it was not. Uh, Boy was actually his second movie or third, I think. Um he made uh, one called, what is it called? Like Fish, uh, Eagle versus Shark he made. Yeah. Um, and then he had some smaller ones. So uh, I didn't realize he had all of these older movies. But um, Boy is about a young boy named oh. Boy. Who, yeah. Uh, he actually goes by the name Boy. And he uh, he lives in New Zealand, surprisingly. Um, and it's just about, it, it's about him growing up, like with all of his family members, he lives with his grandmother because his mother has died and his father is out of the picture and his father returns to the picture. And so it's, uh, about him reconnecting with his father and it's, uh, pretty short. It's only like 87 minutes. It was on Hoopla and Canopy. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was so like just such a charming movie. The kid performances were really, really good. Um, a, a great coming of age story. And just about him, you know, about this character boy. And um, oh, and it takes place in 1984 also. And so boy is like a super fan of Michael Jackson at the time. And, um, you know, so the the movie obviously touches on like these these themes of having having somebody that you idolize, uh, such as your father who's been out of the picture or Michael Jackson. And obviously Michael Jackson is a problematic fave at this point. But mm-hmm. in 1984, he was this mega pop star that was internationally known. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I definitely recommend Boy. It, um, I did not like what, The Hunt for the Wilder People. It was the only uh, Taika Waititi movie I haven't liked that he's made. And Boy got things right back on track. So, OK, well, I just imported my watch list. All right. And I have now 498 uh, oh. movies on my watch list. And I'm now adding Boy. So I, nice. now have four, I now have 499. I only have 334 on my watch list. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these I'm not going to necessarily end up seeing because. Right. There's just, we add yeah. more. I mean, yeah, that's the problem with watch lists. You add more faster than you uh, see them. Yeah. It's also like it's one of those things where like you, you realize that just like there's no such thing as seeing all the movies you want to see because like whenever you dive further and further in you realize that there's even more and more and more that you haven't yet seen exactly um yeah so it's a problem i i like to compare it to like i always say in my house that like my wife will say that like oh we need more closets and i say there's no such thing like if we get more closets 
then we're just gonna we're just gonna fill them with more stuff like meaning like when we go to costco instead of buying like two cases of water we'll buy five cases of water because now we have more space to put in we'll still have we'll still need more closets mm-hmm. like there's no end to like closet space you just fill it with more shit you don't need and then you say oh we need more closet space yeah no that's definitely true uh, although I am a I'm a member of Inbox Zero, so I am able to do that with my emails. I'm able to keep my emails sorted and only have a couple unread messages. Yeah, I do a good job with that. Although I, I use my like my inbox as like a to do list also. So like, yeah, I always same. have like five or six things that like I have to take care of. Yeah. Anything that's unread in my inbox is because I need to take action on it pretty yeah. much. So um yeah, all right. So so that's boy. Um and uh if you've seen it, I'd love to talk to some people about it. I think it's a cool one. So okay. Um, and it's, so I did watch that on my personal ladder and I was trying to figure out what should be next. And I was thinking, oh, maybe a movie from 1984. And I decided, you know what? I think it's time for me to revisit a movie that I know Av loves a lot and I did not like when I saw. So I'm going to go to Boyhood next and rewatch that. Oh, well, it's interesting you mentioned that because it has a very, very loose connection to Tropic Thunder, but a, oh. conne- a connection nonetheless. Oh, all right. Um, yeah, in in Boyhood, and, and this I just I don't even I don't even remember this, uh, but I was on the IMDb page. They show connections between movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently in Boyhood, um, Mason says that he really liked Tropic Thunder. Oh, all right. Like when we get to Mason's the, year, the main, that's the main kid. Yeah, that's the kid. Right. Um, he says that in uh in like the 2008 year of the movie, he mentions that Tropic Thunder came out and he liked it. Which I don't even I don't remember that from the movie, but that's what IMDb claims. Yeah. Uh, well, we can have some crossing of the streams between uh, the two ladders, maybe if that gets chosen. So. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's uh, let's jump into Tropic Thunder. Um, I do have a voicemail from from Zvi. Um, I also have notes from Brendan. Uh, that you know, I'll try to get to them. He wrote a ton of notes of what he thought of Tropic Thunder, and I said, I we'll see how much I can actually get to what you said. Um, but I think Tropic Thunder, all of us had seen that. Like you'd seen Tropic Thunder once. Yeah, before, so right? I saw it in theaters when it came out. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, I I also saw I don't think I saw it on DVD, and I I remember when I first saw it. I didn't think it was that funny. I um, it's got a lot of the the actors that I really don't like that much uh, in 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 big doses like Danny McBride, um, Jack Black. I like him in small doses like in High Fidelity, um, and in The Jackal. But in Tropic Thunder, he's a little bit too much for me. Um, I've come around to Robert Downey Jr. I didn't really like him at the time. Mm-hmm. So when I first saw when I first saw Tropic Thunder, I was like very irked by it. Um, this time seeing it again. Uh, I liked more of it. I thought the the story was uh, was interesting where it went and uh, that with, you know, with them getting stuck, like I didn't remember that the movie was so much about them getting trapped uh, behind enemy lines and then having to escape. Um, but really, I thought all of the all of the Vietnam, all of the movie that took place in Vietnam, I was much less interested in than the stuff taking place in Hollywood. Yeah, um, I am almost in 100% agreement with you. Um, when I remember when I saw it, I was excited for it. Um, I think the trailer to this movie is really funny and great, and it got me really excited for it. Um, and I think the first like 15 or 20 minutes of this movie are very strong. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, like once the director gets killed and like they they go on that like okay now we're you know we have to go into the forest and like they think it's fake but it's really real and it, and you know 
Um, it's a meta on top of meta on top of meta. Right. Um, I, I, I it really lost my interest. Um, it lost my attention other than the Hollywood scenes mm-hmm. and basically anything with Tom Cruise and uh, Matthew McConaughey in it, I thought was very funny and yep. very clever. Um, I thought the first 15 minutes of the movie were pretty fun and clever with like all the different trailers and videos and just like meeting everyone. Um, but basically once like the real story of this movie starts, I was, became like almost completely disengaged, which I think is the same thing that happened to me last time. Um, and I think this movie is like a lot better in theory, like that it is actually like, I think there are some ideas in here and there's some interesting things the movie tries to do and has things to say about. I just think it's all pretty poorly executed and just like not that funny, which, you know, is usually the main requirement of a comedy for me. Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't find a ton of it um, super funny. I mean, you know, there was there was some stuff. And I do think, you know, what you just touched on, like this movie does uh, does address, you know, some some satire in Hollywood. And um, it does a good job making fun of these big productions, which obviously Apocalypse Now is a is one of those big productions and the problems Apocalypse Now had. Um so I think that it's it's a little bit smarter than it gets credit for. But I yeah, I just didn't think it was that funny. And there were times when I was just it was just kind of grating. And um, you know, it's like, it, yeah, it, it, it just didn't really make me laugh that much. It's a, yeah. So uh, let's see. Let's hear what Svee has to say about it. Sure. Um, I'm going to play the, his voicemail. And hey, guys, thanks for covering Tropic Thunder this week. I'm glad I can make it two suggestions in a row. So I'm a big fan of this movie, and as much fun as it is to rewatch, nothing beats the first time seeing this in theaters. I still remember not realizing right away that Booty Sweat and Bust the Nut were in fact not available at concession stands, and then also only realizing halfway through the movie that Les Grossman was just fat Tom Cruise, and then there's the scale of the action, especially in that opening scene, and so much more. Um, I think this is one of the rare comedies that plays much better in theaters uh, for reasons other than laughing along with everybody else. It's obviously not a perfect comedy by any stretch. It drags a bit in the middle. I think it, I've never been the biggest Jack Black fan, even when he's parodying himself. And there are definitely some bits that didn't age well, even at the time. But overall, uh, I'm a big fan of this movie. So I wavered between a four and a four and a half, but I'm going to bump it up to a four and a half, mainly on the backs of Robert Downey Jr.'s performance, the whole first act, the end of the movie, the whole Tom Cruise of it all, and the fact that it's written by Justin Theroux. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this one. All right, so uh, yeah, so V with a very high uh, high ranking, four and a half for him, and um, you yeah, know, I, th- I, I think I'll what look. he said is is um, you know, he, he made a lot of good points, um, and yeah, I, you go ahead. I I, I don't know where I'm uh, where I'm going with that. <laughs> um, no, I mean a lot of people really like this movie, and I remember when I first saw it, I was like very disappointed and like. I remember talking, arguing with my friends about like what they liked and what they didn't like and what I didn't like. Um, and I was kind of like looking forward a little bit to giving the movie a second chance, but I, I think I kind of just came out thinking exactly what I thought the first time, which is that, as I said before, it's kind of, you know, it's like well-crafted. It's a well-made movie. Um, I just don't think it's that funny and it just like doesn't make a ton of sense, which mm-hmm. I guess is fine. Um, but I do think there is some, it does have good commentary in there. Um, you know, it, it, they are doing a good job of satirizing Hollywood and like the types of movies that Hollywood makes and how they try to sell them. Um, you know, it takes on representation in Hollywood in a pretty unique way. Um, obviously there's at least two things in this movie that it's hard to believe were past muster in 2008. They would, you know, both between the uh, 
the Robert Downey Jr. blackface and the repeated use of the R word. Yeah. Uh, you know, that just would never happen today. And it's like crazy to think that like how far things have gone in only like 10 or 12 years that, um, you know, th- this movie literally would get, you know, canceled in and like not canceled in like the like hashtag canceled, like actually canceled. Um, and it did come. I mean, it came up um, over the summer. People were talking about, you know, like I saw tweets that were like, when are we going to talk about Robert Downey Jr. and blackface in Tropic Thunder? Yeah. Um, I- I wonder if because it was intended to be satirical, it just what it wasn't viewed as problematic. Um, I don't know. I'm not you know, that's beyond my capacity to really comment on because I don't really know why blackface is sometimes kind of looked at okay And it's usually when it's usually not. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it it definitely got a pass compared to some other uh, movies and shows that had used blackface that really got skewered. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the. Robert Downey Jr.'s character in this movie that he, like I'm not even sure it it, it it's interesting because it, it it's portraying him as an idiot and it's portraying all of these characters in idiots and it's actually a discussion that came up I was just listening to the 40 year old virgin rewatchables podcast and they were talking about the you know how I know you're gay scene and how that doesn't you know that that's another one that like famously doesn't age well yeah and what they were saying on that is that it's you know, on the surface yes that that comes off very problematic. But if you look at it, like these are not supposed to be heroes and these are, these are morons. These characters are morons. And um, I think the same could apply to the, the actors in Tropic Thunder that like, of course, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is supposed to be like not laughing at the fact that he's portrayed as a black person, but it, the fact that this guy is so out of touch that he would get this, this pigment alternation uh, alternation, surgery um that you know like this isn't they're not portraying it as like a good decision it's this guy's an idiot yeah i mean and i you know i'm fine with it and i was not offended by it even even this time um but again like you know i'm not i'm not going to appoint myself the adjudicator of when blackface is allowed right if it was up to me then yeah i mean this seems to me like you know certainly nobody is meaning any you know ill intents by its use here and it's it's meant in it you know it they're they're making fun of the usage of it more than they're making fun of any specific people or anything like that um and that's you know that sits well with me it's just usually these sorts of things are very zero tolerance so right. i'm surprised this has gotten to pass um and you know yeah because if you I'll screenshot find... this movie if you screenshot a picture of this movie you'll see robert Downey jr in blackface yeah uh, yeah 100 percent um which has happened to other which has happened with you know snl sketches and i think jimmy fallon had something um yeah or, uh, jimmy fallon did jimmy kimmel did all the jimmies. Um, what was what were they really skewering? Though? I mean, I guess like you could say with with that character, they're skewering like a method actor who just will not break character. Right. And he yeah. even said I, I did think this is a funny line where he said that he won't break character until after he's recorded the DVD commentary. Yeah, um, I thought I thought that was really good. Yeah. Uh, it also but, has what I think is the probably the funniest scene in the movie where he says, who are you calling you people? And then the actual black person says, who are you calling you? people?" Oh, yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, that uh, played by Brandon T. Jackson, which um, I I don't think I've really seen him in any other movies, but I I thought he was really good in this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was good. Uh, yeah, I, I, thought, I wasn't familiar with him either. Yeah. Um, so and, and then some of the other movies that this that this does a good job skewering, I thought, especially in the opening 
the opening movie trailers, like the Nutty Professor yeah. satire was just like – it was just like exactly what the Nutty Professor franchise – Yeah, it wasn't like even a satire. They just like basically took a trailer for Nutty Professor and replaced uh, Eddie Murphy with Jack Black in it. Yeah, that's true. It's like um, not even like a commentary. It's just like a shot for shot with a white guy instead. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we did have the – uh, I guess it's like Forrest Gump or Sling Blade. Um, and that's where we got into like the hard R word showing up in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was I was curious about that. So do you do you think that the point he's making there, that there's any merit to that um, without using any of the uh, the actual terminologies? But like the idea of like you, you kind of have to be like somewhat in between like the Rain Man type as opposed to like the, you know, completely mentally handicapped for the Oscar to to recognize you i don't know if that's actually true yeah i mean i guess there it's like a nuance type thing right where like with any role you know if you go if you go full like 100 percent uh like overacting almost right um i mean I, I just can't think of enough like examples of it that i can really recall i mean there's like i am sam forrest gump uh rain man um, yeah those are the ones they mentioned yeah yeah it, re- it reminded i mean that whole movie trailer reminded me of um i don't i think it's a college humor movie trailer it's like the uh every oscar movie ever right youtube video which i've watched a ton of times and i think that actually does a better job of this type of satire than tropic thunder does um because that just like nails everything in like a movie trailer for uh your generic oscar winner or generic oscar nominee yeah i hear that yeah so um yeah, and I I did think Ben Stiller. I, I like Ben Stiller a lot. You've gotten to talk about Ben Stiller uh, quite a bit lately. Uh, yeah. Podcast and uh, pretty 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 good. Um, you know, and this reminded me of like the the really good Ben Stiller right around this time and in, in the early two thousands mid nineties. Um, that like Ben Stiller was great. He just hasn't. I don't think he's really had any hits. Uh, so to speak, the the last couple of years. Yeah, it's been a while for Ben Stiller. Although he uh he was the showrunner for a show that I haven't seen um escape from damora or something like that oh i did hear about that I people think say people say is really good um, and he also directed this movie as well as yes. wrote this movie yes so, um playing lots of roles yeah i mean i think i feel like with ben stiller's career it was really like after the night at the museum movie started just like things kind of turned um yeah i'm just like looking at his imdb because i actually pulled up his uh his filmography Last week, because you guys on Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good were saying that in 2004, when Ben Stiller shows up on Curb Your Enthusiasm, that he wasn't yet a major star. Well, Chester was saying that. I was saying that I think he is. And then we looked and I think we concluded that that's really – that 2004 was like the peak of Ben Stiller. Yeah, because I mean like the early 2000s is when you get Meet the Parents, which I feel like – meet you know Meet the Parents, which came out before Zoolander somehow. Um, yeah. And uh, I feel like those are like the – that's like the like uh, you know apex for – Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's something about Mary was probably his first like real role where he was like really put on the map as like a lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, with Meet the Parents and Zoolander and um, Along Came Polly, a Starsky and Hutch, Dodgeball. That's you know, that was really his peak, like 2000 to 2005. Yeah. And then it's uh, definitely fallen off since then, although he's probably made a lot more money since then, like being in like the Night of the Museums and the Madagascar's. Um, I bet like I would guess that like 90 percent of his earnings have come in have come after he peaked as an actor. Yeah. And he was in the Meyerowitz stories, which I never got yeah. around to seeing. That was a Noah Baumbach movie. Um, and that was supposed to be pretty good. Um, um, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, he was also in While We're Young, which is another Noah Baumbach movie. Yeah, I, believe. Yeah. I did. like I did like that one. Um, yeah. He plays himself and don't think twice. 
which is another good one that I liked. Uh, but yeah, I mean, now, you know, he's basically all, you know, they're, they're coming out with the uh, fourth Madagascar next year. There's mm-hmm. been, I don't know, three Night of the Museums, four Night of the Museums, who even knows. Uh, I wonder if we're going to see a big uptick in animated movies over the next few years because productions are halted so much and they can do voiceovers from anywhere. Um, yeah, that could be. I didn't even think of that. That's a good, that's yeah. a good call. So maybe we're going to see a lot more Madagascars and uh, those have, maybe Megamind, too, will come back as well. Yeah. So. Uh, did you ever see Heavyweights when you were growing up? No, I have not. Uh, I, I almost want to add that as a uh, as a suggestion for next. So he plays the like camp director, and mm-hmm. his character in Heavyweights is like a Richard Simmons esque character. Like he's he's kind of a mix between Zoolander and his character from Dodgeball um, in Heavyweights. Got it. So it's and that's that's you know that's a kids movie. Like you watch that with your daughter, and um, I think she would find it pretty funny. Okay. So, um, all right. So, uh, I mean, what else? What else is? I guess we haven't really gotten into anything with the the Hollywood stuff. Um, and uh, we both agreed that, that was the strongest. So we have Tom Cruise uh, appearing as Les Grossman, which um, I'm with V. I think the first time I saw this movie, I did not realize that that was Tom Cruise until closer to the end of the movie. Yeah. And it, it's very fun to get Tom Cruise in this role. Yeah, it's like Tom Cruise with, with, you know, full energy doing his Tom Cruise thing, um, playing this just like ludicrous Hollywood producer who doesn't give a crap about the movies or the actors or anything other than just making more and more money, um, right. which is probably only a slight exaggeration of, of many of these producers. Um, although, you know, I, I guess I would bet a, a bunch of them care in theory about like the art, like or at least they think that they're creating art. So they put some uh, yeah, I wonder factor if he's on that. based on Harvey Weinstein. Oh, interesting. I didn't even think of that. Because that was, I was, I was, I mean, besides like he, he didn't seem like a uh, sexual deviant in this movie, but it, it just seems like this is around he the didn't time. Seem, he didn't seem like not a sexual deviant. Yeah, I mean, we just didn't see any anything either way on that. Um, but you know, he's just like this like schlubby. Well, I guess you can't really call him schlubby, but he's like, I mean, he's not like a he's not like attractive Tom Cruise, right? He's in like a somewhat of a fat suit and has a bald head and. Um, you know, it's interesting that Tom Cruise agreed to do this and had so much fun with it because you really could point to some of the characters in this movie and be like, yeah, those are like skewering Tom Cruise. I mean, the Robert Downey Jr. character outside of the skin pigmentation, like I feel like you could hear stories about Tom Cruise on the set acting like this guy. Yeah, um, I thought Robert Downey Jr. in this movie with the with the skin pigmentation looked a lot like real life Tim Meadows. Yeah, I could see that. Um I don't know if that was intentional, but um, yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then at the end of the movie, when he takes off the wig and uh, takes out the contacts, it's just like it's just like such a weird combination of uh, makeup that he's wearing. So. Yeah, it's a little creepy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we get we have Tom Cruise as the as the studio executive and doesn't he doesn't really seem to care if these guys die. He just yeah, as long as he, he's like, oh, well, we have insurance for that, so he doesn't care. And then Matthew McConaughey as uh, as the agent, as uh, Ben Stiller is Tug Speedman's agent. Um, and again, this was this was a really fun character. Like all the interactions between Matthew McConaughey and Ben Stiller, Matthew McConaughey and Tom Cruise, uh, that stuff all I thought was really funny. And even so much that – like I remember not thinking this movie was that funny the first time I saw it, and when I was pulling the – uh, outro music for last week's podcast i pulled up a youtube video to get some music and it was the it was the scene where matthew mcconaughey runs into tom cruise's office 
And that part I actually like was laughing. And I was like, okay, this movie's actually going to be pretty funny. And I got excited to watch Tropic Thunder. Um, turns out that was the high point of the movie. Yeah. So, um, but all the stuff with, uh, with Matthew McConaughey trying to like misunderstanding and thinking the TiVo wasn't delivered to the set right. and, uh, just like the random, the random writers that the, that the actors had. I think that's, that's kind of what that's talking about. And yeah. Uh, and just like, kind of like this common commentary on like the way, you know, the kid gloves that are used for like these Hollywood stars and the way they have to be coddled. Right. Um, like, so that was good stuff. Yeah, I remember going to a I did like a, an arena tour when I was in Boston of like the TD Garden and they talked about they told the story there about how Madonna had come, you know, a couple months before to do a concert and she had this super long list of a rider and it was like the the dressing room had to be a certain temperature and like you hear stories about like I only want green M&Ms and just like these crazy demands that these uh the yeah. talent the talent have. So um and I think that 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 between the TiVo and then also we have you know they're filming in Vietnam and it looks like you know there's there's obviously like the drug cartel in Vietnam and it's a, like a super dangerous place to be and then the production just has this huge resort where they're like jumping in the pool and barbecuing and you know having parties just in the middle of uh of this area and I thought that that was a smart part of this movie as well yeah I yeah I, I didn't mind that party there yeah so um and nice little cameo from Bill Hader. I don't know if this was before Bill Hader was. I mean, it was obviously before he was a big star, but I don't know if he was even on SNL in 2008. Uh, let's find out. Yeah. So <laughs> um, that was another thing that I was surprised by when I watched that YouTube video. I was like, oh, Bill Hader is in this movie. I did not at all remember him being in it. He was on SNL from 2005 to 2013. Okay. So he was on SNL. He's a couple years into SNL at that point. Yeah. Um, have you watched Barry? Yes. I, I like Barry a lot. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's another that's another property that talks about productions and actors and that, that whole world. So. Yeah, I, I really like Barry. Yeah. Um, all right. So is there anything else that you want to touch on? We can get into some questions and connections. Um, I have I have Brendan's notes. I can just scan through and see what he if he has anything that he that I want to add from his voice. Yeah, let's do that. All right. So um, Brendan says he uh, loved the opening trailers. I agree with that. I think uh, that that was I was a surprise that there wasn't even like a studio logo that came up before those trailers. Like I hit play on this movie on Amazon and it immediately started with one of the trailers. Yeah, it's very confusing. Yeah. Like so much so that I was like, wait, is this a trailer for some new Amazon show? Which, uh, you know, that's the that's the intention with this movie. But I thought that was really clever. You know, he, he points out some notes in terms of connections that like the plot centers around the movie book that's written or the movie and the book that's written by Nick Nolte's character and how that, that matches with apocalypse now being based on a, on a novel. And um, I guess apocalypse now wasn't really based on a, the novel of a soldier coming back from Vietnam though. But um, I think some yeah. of the other war movies that come out are based on that. And then it turns out that that he never even wrote that care, that book. Correct. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Yes, is the Tobey Maguire joke the best joke in the movie about him being the MTV award winner for best kiss, Tobey Maguire? What's the joke? I don't know. This is, they they call him MTV award winner for best kiss. Yeah, is it from Spider-Man? No. I, oh, yeah, I guess it is from Spider-Man. Yeah, I guess they're actually referencing a real life thing. Yeah, I would assume. I th yeah. I mean, I guess Tobey Maguire is probably at that point maybe not known for much more. I mean – um. Now we know that Tobey Maguire is the basis for uh, what was that poker movie with the 
Um, yeah, with um, what's her name? Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain. Yeah, I don't remember the name of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see. In two thousand three, Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst won the MTV Movie Award for Best. Five Kiss. years. Five years before uh, this movie came out. Yeah. So I don't really get. I don't. Maybe I just missed what the. What was what the joke was? I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> I think it was just that it's like. Like that they would use that as like they'd be like, oh, this guy won an MTV award for best kiss. And it's like not something that anybody would care about. Like who what actor is like putting up on their mantle that they won like MTV award, like not only for like, you know, for best kiss. Like, oh, wow. Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson won four years in a row for Twilight movies. All four of them are Twilight movies. And never seen any of the Twilight movies. Me neither. Never read them. Never saw them. Yeah, no. I, I feel like I need to fill my Harry Potter blind spot before I fill my Twilight blind spot. Uh, yeah, I just did the Harry Potter blind spot. I'm not really planning to do Twilight. No. Well, until your daughter's a teenager. Yeah, I just don't think Twilight has like broken through. Um, the thing that I that I've thought would be the case that I have certainly noticed since is that you you one doesn't even realize how many Harry Potter references and stuff are just like so embedded in pop culture because it's just such an integral part of um things that you know people have seen um just and, and like i now i just like notice it everywhere like i see like something almost every day that's a harry potter reference mm-hmm. yeah that's i mean yeah i i'm i still don't quite get it you know i see people like even like i've seen people in like their dating profiles put what harry potter house they're in yeah and i'm like that means that has no value to me i don't know what a helpful puff is yeah so. um yeah no one really does they're the ones that are just like everything else yeah maybe i should just when i see that i should just start asking harry potter friends that I know and be like, what does this mean? This person says they're a, uh, uh, what's the, what's the bad one? Slytherin. Slytherin. I do know that. Yeah. Maybe I'll put that on a Slytherin in my profile. See if that, see if that works. Um, all right. So Brennan has a couple things that he wrote. Um, he said that he was actually more bothered. And I think that's what we're in agreement with by the R word than, uh, the Robert Downey Jr. Blackface. And he actually notes that Robert Downey Jr. was no, was nominated for a golden globe for this role. So, um, oh. Nice. Yeah. So and he, and he mentions that it, it just kind of shows how meta that is, that like Robert Downey Jr. committed so much to this role, which is about an actor who commits so much to the role. Right. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, he also notes that he he's not a big fan of gore. He's talked about that before. He says the gore really, uh, really takes him down for this movie. So I didn't notice the gore too much. I did think, you know, one connection is right off the opening scene when they're filming that that big action scene at the beginning of the movie. Um, we do have Jay Baruchel's character with his guts like spilling out when he gets shot, um, which is the same thing that we saw in Apocalypse Now. We saw we saw the soldier whose guts have been shot out and he's like holding it down by a pot. So I remember that as a connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he says, so uh, the other thing Brent says is he thinks the panda kill through the McConaughey call uh, after it, through the McConaughey call after is his favorite sequence of the film. He was laughing so hard. Um, I'm sure Panda's not even her real name. Yeah, that was that was a good that was a good scene where McConaughey is is uh, he's confused that Stiller he thinks Stiller is saying that like there's a it's a woman and then Ben Stiller's character is saying no like he actually like, killed a panda. So I thought I, I noted that in my notes as well that uh, that panda discussion with McConaughey was pretty funny. Yeah. So, uh, the panda being a connection to the tiger in uh, Apocalypse Now as well. So 
Um, they also they killed uh, that cow or buffalo. Yeah, the it's a water buffalo. Water buffalo. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, all right. So then uh, Brennan's final review. He says overall this movie uh, does hold up as a legit funny comedy and parody of both war movie genre and a complete takedown of the movie business on the backs of the performances from everyone except Ben Stiller. Oh, he didn't like Ben Stiller. Uh, he said he also appreciates the movie for only being an hour and 45 minutes. It really flies the first half hour and uh, until you get to the jungle camp. So uh, Brennan scores a four, which uh, he says not a bore, but needed less gore and less relying on humor that came at the expense of somebody who's mentally disabled. Uh, he's willing to forgive the one aspect because so much of this movie works on all cylinders. But I do feel like even with the, the, when they're using the, the mental disability, they're not laughing at it. They're laughing at this guy. They're, they're he, laughing at the guy trying to portray it. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think, you know, you can look at all of these things and, and say, are these, are the, are they punching down with the skin pigmentation, with the um, mental disability and using that as a crutch to assist in the humor instead of um, being smart satire? Yeah, you could certainly you could certainly argue that um, there was nothing that I found like wildly offensive for for myself, but mm-hmm. I could certainly understand how somebody else might disagree with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I do I am you know I do think this movie should be taken at a little bit more than just surface level with some of that stuff. So I'm glad that at least so far that that seems to be the case with people who've seen it. Yeah. So. Um, and I did like also at the end of the movie that. You know, they end up making the movie they make is different than the movie they set out there to make. Right. The movie they they make is uh, basically like a making of uh, this movie instead of this. Uh, the the movie they originally set out, which was the um, the story that was Nick Nolte's time in war. So and then uh, and then, of course, they they win the Academy Award. Of course. Yeah. Because if you if there's nothing Hollywood likes more than a movie about making movies. So, of course, right. it won. Yeah. Tropic Blunder is what they call the movie. That Tropic Blunder. The yes. Academy Award. So, um, I thought that was a good way to end it. I was kind of surprised there wasn't much. Like, we go right from that into Les Grossman's office where then, for whatever reason, Tom Cruise does the dance. Which I feel like that was the thing everybody talked about when this movie came out. Um, and it's funny to see, you know, especially because it's Tom Cruise doing that. And it's so against type. Yeah. Well, it's the isn't it isn't he doing like the dance from Risky Business? Oh, I didn't think so. Because isn't he dancing to um, Get Low by uh, I think he, I mean, he's dancing like a current rap song, not to oh. Risky Business. So I could be wrong. So, no, I mean, it, like there were two different there's um, Get Low and then there's the Apple Bottom Jeans song, both which play um, the music, you know, the both those songs play throughout this movie with uh with his character with uh les grossman's character because he the scene with matthew mcconaughey where he turns on the rap music really loud and it's supposed to inspire uh inspire his character to like let them die uh-huh but it didn't really i mean it was funny because it was just very random and against type but it didn't really make a lot of sense to me yeah so um all right so you know before we get into other connections um I think it'd be good to talk a little bit about Heart of Darkness or Hearts of Darkness. So did you watch Hearts of Darkness this week or was it just I, I just you. I did not get to it. OK, um, so that was another one that we talked about as being a connection to Apocalypse Now. That's obviously the documentary that's about the making of Apocalypse Now. And it, it was great. Um, 
And I think it, it ties in as a connection both to Apocalypse Now, but also in this movie, because you saw just the the hell that was filming Apocalypse Now. And my big takeaway from Hearts of Darkness was it's just a miracle that Apocalypse Now, A, was even finished and made it all. Um, mm. But that it was as good as it was, that we liked it as much as we did and that it's it's held up as one of the classics. Um and, and really ties in with the, the sliding doors of Apocalypse Now, like what could have been. Um, you know, George Lucas being the original director of Apocalypse Now before he, he didn't end up doing it and making Star Wars. I mean, just how different is Hollywood today if George Lucas makes Apocalypse Now and never makes Star Wars to begin with? Uh, yeah, very different. Yeah, very different. So, um, that's our, that, I mean, that, that's a huge sliding doors. And um, another connection that I didn't realize was that uh, – Orson Welles, who obviously uh, made Citizen Kane, he did a radio play of Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness is the book that Apocalypse Now is based on. And he had planned to make a feature of Heart of Darkness because they said that it was the book that could never have been turned into a movie. Orson Welles attempted to make it his first feature, but instead he made Citizen Kane. So uh, another connection between Apocalypse Now and uh, and Citizen Kane, as well as Sliding Doors, because that's another Sliding Doors. And some other things that I noted, um, just that uh, Harvey Keitel was all the – so they filmed Apocalypse Now in the Philippines. They didn't film it in Vietnam. And Harvey Keitel was going to be the lead in in Apocalypse Now and was so committed that they actually brought him out to the Philippines and he was fired after like a couple days on set. So I think that was brought up – that might have been – Brennan might have brought that up last week, but um, that – that they, you know, just like that's one of the ways that the Apocalypse Now production was just so ravaged by issues. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, including they were shooting during a civil war in the Philippines and um, probably the the most moving part of Hearts of Darkness is they showed the original. And so Hearts of Darkness was filmed by Francis Ford Coppola's wife during the during the creation of Apocalypse Now. And um so they use all this footage to create this documentary uh, many years later after Apocalypse Now comes out. But they have the actual footage of Martin Sheen in the hotel room where he's filming the opening to that movie. And um, that scene was completely – they just kind of let Martin Sheen go. And he ended up – it was his 36th birthday, and he was a recovering alcoholic and got really drunk that night, and they just filmed him. And Francis Ford Coppola was yelling stuff at him from off screen, and um, he was so drunk that when he's like doing the karate in the mirror, he actually punches through the mirror. And he's when you see him in the movie bleeding, that's actually Martin Sheen's blood. Like he's bleeding everywhere, and they wanted to call in doctors, and Martin Sheen wanted to keep going, and so they just kept filming him having this like legit breakdown. And that's the opening to Apocalypse Now. That's oh, the wow. first like 15 minutes of Apocalypse Now. Fascinating. Yeah. So uh, and then uh, eventually Martin Sheen had a heart attack, which I think we covered on last week's podcast. Um, And he was so close to death that he was actually read his last rites, um, not in English, because they didn't think he was going to live. And uh, Francis Ford Coppola, meanwhile, and and this is where I think this is another connection back to Tropic Thunder. Francis Ford Coppola was like on the phone with the studio because they they didn't want production to get delayed very much. And so he was trying to figure out if Martin Sheen could like do ADR or their narration or like what work he could do while he's recovering from this heart attack that nearly killed him. Um, and he was not able to do anything because he just had a heart attack and needed to recover. Wow. So, um, just stuff like that where it's, it's, you know, I, I definitely would recommend hearts of darkness. I'd recommend hearts of darkness more than I would recommend Tropic thunder. Yeah. And, um, it's just got some, it's just a, it's a miracle that that movie got made. 
So um, cool. All right, maybe I will uh, check it out soon. Yeah. All right. So uh, with that, we'll get into some connections um, between Tropic Thunder. I know we've talked about the Tropic Thunder uh, Apocalypse Now connections. Did you have any other connections that you wrote down between the the two movies or uh, Tropic Thunder to other movies that we? Uh, um, I have to other movies. I don't really have anything for Apocalypse Now other than, you know, Vietnam War movie um, and that they both have uh, movies about the making of the movie. Uh, right. Yes. Yeah, so heart. there is one called Reign of Madness, which is a documentary movie that came out about the making of Tropic Thunder. I did not know oh, to watch. Interesting. I meant Tropic Blunder. I didn't. Oh, I didn't. yeah. So if you look on Letterboxd, there's a movie called Reign of Madness, and it's basically supposed to be like Hearts of Darkness. And it's like the, the Hearts of Darkness about Tropic Thunder. Got I think it. it's only a half hour. Um, sure. Yeah. As for other movies, uh, The Great Escape gets uh, referenced here. Yep. Somebody mentions it. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, movie about making movies. Uh, Al Pacino is the guy's name. He was in Insomnia. Al Pacino is which guy's name? Um, Brandon Jackson's Brandon Jackson's name in the movie is Alpa. First name Alpa, last name Chino. Oh, I read that in because I don't like. I actually the thing I struggle with a lot with this movie is like I don't remember anybody's name, and I hate calling uh, characters in the movie by the actor name, but I just can't remember who anybody is. I did not realize his name was Al Pacino. Yeah, well, his name is Alpa is his first name, and his last name is Chino. But right. yeah, yeah, clearly. I, <laughs> yeah, no, obviously it is. I did not uh, realize that. Got it. Um, oh, it says then... it, it says on Wikipedia that uh, Kevin Hart turned down that role because he didn't want to play a gay character. Hmm. Yeah, so, that, that uh, checks out. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, I think that that's, that's uh, the Al Pacino, Al Pacino, um, his story throughout the movie, too, is, is interesting that he is playing a, um, a closeted gay um, gay actor. Right. And I, I didn't feel like this this felt dated or problematic at all. I think this was this is probably the way it is in Hollywood. Oh, uh, yeah, that seems spot on. Um, we have uh, we had Nick Nolte, who is also in the Thin Red Line. I definitely forgot Nick Nolte was in the Thin Red Line. Um, we had Tom Cruise, who we've done a few Tom Cruise movies already. So yeah, I think Tom this is Cruise, the I think the MVP of Movie Ladder Podcast, three movies that he's yeah. uh, had a major role in. Um, yeah, that's all I have. Yeah. Uh, also, Jack Black in High Fidelity as well. Right, right. Um, um, I guess Hot Fuzz is in a way kind of like parodies, like action movies in a similar way to the way this parodies war movies. Um, but that's kind of a weak connection. Uh, well, Steve Coogan also was in Hot Fuzz. Oh, okay. Well. Steve all right. Coogan so plays the director. Together, that works then. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I also I also wrote down uh, Animal Attacks in this movie. We have the panda, the attack, which is like the tiger attack in Apocalypse Now. Um, we also have the water buffalo featured pretty prominently in this movie, just like the water buffalo was featured prominently in Apocalypse Now. And then in the final fight, um, the final battle, the way that that was filmed, there's a lot of purple smoke. And it reminded me of uh, when they get to when they get to the island where Kurtz is and it's it's purple and just the, the different colors smoke throughout Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also a connection. One thing I did learn when I was watching Hearts of Darkness was uh, a major problem they ran into in addition to Marlon Brando showing up to play Kurtz and he was 100 pounds overweight and hadn't read any of the lines, hadn't read Heart of Darkness. Uh, but they also ran into some delays because they weren't sure – Francis Ford Coppola wasn't sure how to finish the movie. And one mm-hmm. of the original endings to the movie was a giant battle where that island where where they see Kurtz and they meet Kurtz in Cambodia is attacked by the Viet Cong. And then they have like a big battle at the end, which I think probably connects to what this big battle is at the end of Tropic Thunder. Got it. All right. Um, so let's get into listener, um, 
listener feedback and ratings, and then we can move on to our connections. And Jeff said this is the second time that he's watched the movie all the way through, but he's seen parts of it many times. It's great cast and has some pretty funny parts. Tom Cruise's Les Grossman is great, and his iconic screaming at Yellow Dragon makes me laugh every time. Yeah, the um, I think Tom Cruise is really the highlight role of this movie for us as well. And so Jeff gives it a 4.0. Olin wrote in and he said uh, another film that he could watch with his wife. And uh, he very much enjoyed the early stages, especially the trailers and the Apocalypse Now style scene that was being uh, shot. Steve Coogan's character got dra- got killed. It dragged a little bit after that. Um, yep. So I think that Olin and Av are actually in agreement on something in a movie. Uh, and Matthew McConaughey and Cruise scenes uh, were a welcome interlude. Uh, he finds Tom Cruise more engrossing and charismatic when he when he's uglied up. Still was enjoyable throughout and enjoyed seeing scenes of Ben Stiller's appearances and his ties to Ob's other podcast for his role on Curb. And yep, that's uh yeah. If we wanted to just go movie ladder podcast to Curb Enthusiasm season four, we could just do that as well. Um, so Olin gives it a three out of five stars. Molly wrote in and said this movie had a great premise a, with some clever jokes. Love the movie trailer opening and lots of the performances. Robert Downey Jr. is amazing with his quote-unquote method acting. Pretty funny that Ben Stiller's captors were huge fans of Simple Jack. Yeah, that's something we didn't really talk about, but that Simple Jack came back to play to play into this movie that the people who uh, who took Ben Stiller captive were big fans of Simple Jack and how that ended up coming full circle and that – uh, him playing Simple Jack in, in like a um, like a almost like a stage performance of the Simple Jack role uh, was a, a way that he was able to f- find some purpose in his life and um, and feel valued for his role as Simple Jack. Molly said Danny McBride and Matthew McConaughey made her laugh. Nick Nolte seemed perfect as the fake war vet. I definitely agree with that. Um, my feels like Jack Black was wasted. Wished he had more to do. Uh, wish he had more to do than drug withdrawal jokes. She liked Ben Stiller, but prefer him in his more average guy roles like Meet the Parents instead of those over-the-top characters like Zoolander and Dodgeball. Molly, I'd be curious if you've seen Heavyweights, and if you haven't, you should watch Heavyweights because that's definitely over-the-top Ben Stiller, but I think that really plays well. And Molly said, uh, I think that this is a pretty funny watch, but it's not great, so she gives it three and a half stars. And Zvi, who we heard from earlier, gave it four and a half stars. So I'm just going to pull our average ranking between all of those. Um, and then we will get into uh, each of our rating. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give your rating? Yeah. Um, so I think it's been pretty clear. Um, I don't I don't really love this movie. Um, I think it brings some stuff to the table, mostly in the form of commentary. But I just did not find the movie itself to be that enjoyable, so I will give it a two and a half. All right, two and a half for Av. Um, and Brendan's – we already read Brendan's review, um, and Brendan gave it a four. Uh, I'm with Av. I actually think that there's some smart stuff in there. I think it's a little bit smarter than it gets credit for. Um, but I think the people who find this movie really funny, I just I just don't find it funny. Um it is a big action. It's got some interesting action for like this style comedy. And um, like Zvi said, it probably does play a little bit better in the movie theater, um, but not enough for me. So I'm going to give it a three and I've gives it a 2.5. Brennan gives it a four. Um, so let me just get our 
listener average. Our listeners average out to 3.75. That's well, going to be like a three and a half. Are you just doing that in your head? Yeah, we'll see if I'm right. All right. A little bit less than three and a half. Yeah, Brennan usually does this, and because he's not here, I, I have to do the math, and I'm trying to do it while I'm also trying to filibuster. And uh, that would be 3.3. What did you say? Three and a half? Yeah, I said a little other three and a half, so there yep. you go. Yeah, good job, Bob. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that will give it a three and a half is what we'll average out to. Um, one thing that came up in the in Molly's review, and I, I do think, you know, something we didn't really talk about is, you know, Ben Stiller, when his when his character is captured, that the captors are such big fans of Simple Jack. And once they realize he's the actor who played Simple Jack, they have him, like, do the stage performance and – um, you know, I thought it was an interesting way for that action star to feel like his dramatic work was valued. Uh, yeah. Did you, uh, can you think of any parallels to that? Like a, a major action star who has this like random dramatic turn. I mean, I, I kept thinking about like comedians who have the dramatic turn. Um, but I was trying to think of, uh, like the action star that they're kind of skewering there. Uh-huh. I mean, Sylvester Stallone doesn't really, right? No, Arnold, not, Schwartz, Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't really. I mean, I uh, guess you could say Sylvester Stallone from Rambo to Rocky, but I'm not sure what the timeline is. For no, Rocky was, Rocky was first. Yeah. Um, uh, I was trying to think, like, Vin Diesel, does he really do anything dramatic? I don't think he really did. Uh, I guess Iron Giant, but, um, yeah. Yeah, no uh, one comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be curious if there's any particular actors that, uh, that Ben Stiller was supposed to be scaring in this movie. All right, so uh, average ranking, 3.5 for Tropic Thunder. And now we're going to pick our movies for next week. So, of course, we take listener suggestions. We have our host suggestions as well. We're going to get down to a final two because it is just Av and I today. And then we'll decide what our movie for next week is going to be. Once we do pick that movie, of course, you can tweet at us at Ladder Movie. You can follow us on Letterboxd at that as well. Or email us, themovieladder at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on the movie that we pick and what your next movie connections are. So for listener connections, uh, start with Jeff. Jeff sent in uh, four movies, all from Ben Stiller. The first one is Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which also was directed by Ben Stiller. Um, I never saw this. I just remember the trailer looking like it was like really ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's a very polarizing movie. I know that some people really like it and some people really hated it. And the, the reviews are all over the place. Did you ever see that one? No, I have not. Uh, and Jeff also suggested Meet the Parents. Um, and then, uh, Kevin Sandusky, I don't, I haven't even heard of Kevin Sandusky. Is that an actor? Kevin Sandusky is the name of the character that Jay Baruchel plays in this movie. Oh, that Jay Baruchel plays. Okay. So, um, yeah, he wrote Kevin Sandusky. I guess he must've met Jay Baruchel. Um, he suggested Almost Famous, uh, which does have, uh, Jay Baruchel on it. Okay. So, um, Almost Famous has come up a lot. All right. Are, Jim said, oh, are there yeah. any movies about Penn State that we can see? Penn State, like Paterno? Yeah, Sandusky. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, no, we're, we're not making that connection. Uh, all right, Jim said he's a bad listener and he did not rewatch Tropic Thunder. I guess maybe he was too busy rewatching uh, Murder Mystery instead of Tropic Thunder. Yep. Um, and uh, his suggestion is one of his favorite Jack Black movies that is Kung Fu Panda. I've never uh-huh. seen any of the Kung Fu Panda movies. Neither have I, but Jack Black and a panda, not a bad connection. Yeah, exactly. That's actually a very good connection. Uh, and then Svi said he's going to see if he can make it three weeks in a row with his movie getting suggested. I think if he makes it three weeks in a row, he becomes the automatic co-host of this podcast. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Well, we can allow it. Um, so he suggested Zoolander, 
Uh, obviously, Ben Stiller connection. Also, the same writer of Tropic Thunder. Um, and uh, breakdancing scene as well. Mm-hmm. He said, Hamlet 2, Steve Coogan def- uh, desperately tries to save a failing production. Um, I've never heard of ha- Hamlet 2. Yeah, the problem is we'd have to watch Hamlet 1 first. Right. Uh, that's true, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, I once started watching Hamlet 2 and, and stopped in the middle while everyone else continued watching it because I thought it was horrible. Yeah. Uh, he suggested Walk Hard, which was one of my original Movie Ladder movies, uh, because it spoofs uh, music biopics the same way that this spoofs Vietnam War movies. I think, you know, that would almost make us full circle between The Doors to Apocalypse Now to um, to Tropic Thunder to Walk Hard. Uh-huh. And The Cable Guy is a movie directed by Ben Stiller and apparently features Jen- Jack Black. I don't remember Jack Black being in it either. Um, he said this is somewhat of a cult status movie, so you'd be interested in checking that out again. And then his final one is Brad Status. Uh, he said, seriously, it's time we talk about Mike White, who wrote, directed, and has a hilarious small role in this film, uh, which stars Ben Stiller in a dramatic turn. Brad, Brad Status. Yeah. I feel like if you're going to pick Mike White as a connection from this movie, why not pick uh, uh, School Rock with Jack Black? That's another good one. Yeah. Um, directed, Written and directed by Mike White, starring Ben Stiller, Austin Abrams, Michael Sheen, Jenna Fisher, and Luke Wilson. What year did this come out? 2017. Hmm. Hey, Brad's status. Didn't hear about that one at all. All right. And then Olin said, uh, uh, Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa from 2013. The primary link is that it stars Steve Coogan. And uh, the plot link of a big media personality getting involved in an actual hostage scenario. And he also suggested Bridge on the River Kwai. The bridge scene at the end of Tropic Thunder had a strong homage to this film. It's a war film set in an Asian jungle and uh, is an Oscar-winning film as well. So I guess you could even make that a connection. Yep. Uh, And then Molly suggested The Player. Uh, That is a Hollywood satire written by Robert Altman. So that would connect to you watching. Yeah. uh, The Player is very very good. Yeah. I've never actually seen The Player either. Uh, And I – I believe Nick Nolte is in The Player. Yes, he is. Yeah, I watched it last year and really enjoyed it. Um, I think Brendan watched it last year as well. And uh, Flirting with Disaster, a hilarious movie where adopted Ben Stiller searches for his birth parents. That one, I feel like I remember seeing that in the video store, but I don't uh, – never actually seen it. Me neither. Yeah. Oh, David, right. or Russell, David O. Russell, written directed. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, and then Brendan wrote down his connections as well. So he wrote down The Disaster Artist, which is the making of the worst movie ever, The Room. We have brought up The Room a lot, not in a while, though. Uh, he also – and I bet you there's probably some cast members on The Disaster Artist that were also in Tropic Thunder. Um, he said uh, Jerry Maguire, a charismatic agent, sacrifices everything for his only client and, of course, has hmm. Tom Cruise in it. Chaplin, Robert Downey Jr., making movies with a movie. It was on my list. All right. And finally, he says, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword from 2017, the most recent addition to the most expensive box office bombs ever made. But I don't think uh, Tropic Blunder was a box office bomb is the problem. This movie was actually very successful. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's probably been a bigger box office blo- bomb more recently than 2017, like Tenet, for example. Well. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. Uh, John Carter, was that after 2017? Uh, I'm not sure. All right. Uh, okay, so what do you got for your uh, suggestions? All right, well, we'll take Chaplin off because it was said by Brendan. Um, 
Well, I'll I'll put on uh, I'll put on Boyhood for the reason we said before. Um, I'd allow you to pick it for this if that's what you want. Um, and what was then, the connection with Boyhood again? I know you told me about it. Yeah, in uh, in the movie in the oh, year right. 2008, he talks about like his favorite movies of that summer. Tropic Thunder is one of the ones that he mentions. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I have two other suggestions. They are both movies with uh, Robert De- uh, Robert Downey Jr. Not Robert De Niro. Um, one is Bowfinger, which is also a movie about making movies in which Robert Downey Jr. appears. And the other one is one of my favorite movies of the 2000s with Robert Downey Jr., and that is Zodiac. Oh, nice. Zodiac. Um, I don't remember him being in Bowfinger, uh, Robert Downey Jr., but I haven't seen Bowfinger in a really long time. Yeah, well, according to Wikipedia, he's in it, so we're going to trust that over your memory, I think. Yeah, that, that's probably good. Uh, Bowfinger, Boyhood, and what was your last one? Uh, uh, Zodiac. Zodiac. Brennan is usually writing these into the doc, and I have to do that. Uh, all right, so let's see. I have six movies written down, but I will not take all six of them. Uh, the first is I'll do Nick Nolte in an action comedy, and it's one I've never seen. also stars Eddie Murphy. That's 48 Hours. Um, cops and some 80s. Uh, also, I'll take Ben Stiller in a movie I've been meaning to rewatch, but I have not recently, uh, and that's Reality Bites. I think that's um, I think that's satirizing like Gen Xers as well. So um, I've been meaning to rewatch that one for a long time and haven't seen it. Uh, another is an action comedy that's kind of meta in terms of uh, of actors playing themselves, and that's This Is the End. It's got Jay Baruchel in it as well, um, and Danny McBride. And then finally, uh, the other one that I will pick out of these is I'll do, I'll do Interview with a Vampire. Um, the connection there is Tom Cruise is obviously in it. Um, also, there's an iconic scene in that movie with the song Sympathy for the Devil playing. And Sympathy for the Devil did play in Tropic Thunder. So those are our connections. I'll go through and read them all off once again. Uh, the ones that didn't make the cut, I had Jumanji 2 written down. Uh, I guess it's actually Jumanji 3, the the most recent Jumanji movie. Uh, and the connection there is Jack Black. Also, Kevin Hart is in it, and he turned down the Tropic Thunder role. Um, and they're in the jungle. They're lost. And uh, I thought about Rain Man because of Tom Cruise and then some of the Simple Jack stuff, but I just think that uh, better time to see Rain Man, I think, than that connection. So our uh, our suggestions are as follows. The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, Meet the Parents, Almost Famous, Kung Fu Panda, Zoolander, Hamlet 2, Walk Hard, The Cable Guy, Brad Status, Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa, Bridge on the River Kwai, The Player, Flirting with Disaster, The Disaster Artist, Jerry Maguire, Chaplin, Bowfinger, Boyhood, Zodiac, 48 Hours, Interview with a Vampire, Reality Bites, and This is the End. So, Av, you get to pick first. Oh, I guess I get to pick first. Go so ahead. I last. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to go with Jerry Maguire. That's mine. Um, yeah, Tom Cruise was the, was the headliner in this movie. I haven't seen Jerry Maguire in a long time, and uh, I think that's the one I want to... Now, now I'm... Now I'm 
So pick something else. It's okay. Yeah. You're not just, accountable to anyone. <laughs> that's true. Uh, just to you. Um, yeah. How about I, I was actually thinking maybe we should each pick two so that way we have more to do. To okay. Because we normally have three. Okay. Oh, I also forgot to say Brendan had King Arthur Legend of the Sword on his list. I'm not thinking. Yeah. All right. That's so I'll pick. That's good. I'll pick Jerry Maguire, mm-hmm. and um, I'll also pick um, Flirting with Disaster as well. Ah, okay. So um, I was I was gonna pick Flirting with Disaster. Okay. Um, so I will, pick. I will pick two more. I will pick, uh, walk hard, which I've, which I've never seen and interview with the vampire, which I've never seen. All right. So we picked, uh, one listener, one host, um, for each of us. All right. All right. So I just watched walk hard. Okay. So um, we could cross that off then. Yeah. Well, just watched it beginning of last year, but, uh, Walk Hard is a much better, much better parody than Tropic Thunder is. Yeah. I would say. Um, you should see it. It's funny. You should like watch a music biopic and then watch Walk Hard after. Um, like the Bohemian Rhapsody and then Walk Hard. That's what I did. Right. So, okay. Uh, um, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not like super inclined to see Jerry Maguire again. Um, I really enjoyed it when it came out and I've seen it a bunch of times, but it's just not a movie that I feel like I need to see again. Um, so... Yeah, that, I'm I'm okay with with not picking. That was kind of why when I picked it, I was like, I think the idea of Jerry Maguire, uh, I like better than actually. Yeah, Jerry I don't Maguire. think I don't think it would probably age very well. Oh, that's true. Um, although the football's starting up, you know, it is a little timely. But yes. Um, all right, so we're down to flirting with disaster or interview with a vampire. Um, I have not seen flirting with disaster. I haven't seen interview with the vampire in a while. Um. Uh, do you have any any strong takes on this? Um, I have I'm inclined to pick Interview with the Vampire, not just because it was my pick, uh, but also because we've done like eight weeks in a row of listener uh, connections. Yeah, you're right. Fuck the listeners. <laughs> there we go. Uh, I was canceled. Uh, all right. So, yeah, Interview with the Vampire it is uh, from 1994, directed by Neil Jordan. Um, it is a vampire movie. So we're getting we're getting a jump on the. Uh, on the spookiest month of the year, October, coming up. So, um, and it is streaming on HBO Max, but that is the only place where it's streaming, so you'll have to rent it if you don't have an HBO Max like Av does. Yeah, I I have HBO Max now. It's very exciting. Have you seen Interview with a Vampire? No, I've never seen it. Oh, good. Okay. But it has uh, uh, it looks like it has Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in it, so that's yeah. pretty exciting. Yeah. No, it's uh, I remember liking it when I saw it. So, um, all right. I hope we'll so as well. We'll see if it holds up. It's uh, 1994's Interview with the Vampire. So, yeah. So, next week's pick, Interview with the Vampire, the connection is uh, Tom Cruise, as well as one of the songs, Sympathy for the Devil, makes an appearance in that movie. So, that is where we're going to be going next. Av, uh, where can people find you? Um, I am on Twitter and Letterboxd at A. Sedensky. And you could also find me on the Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good podcast. It's a cur- weekly Curb Your Enthusiasm rewatch that I do with Alex Chester of 32 Fans fame. Um, you could find that on Anchor and anywhere else that you find podcasts. Um, how do you? How did you guys decide on how many pretties to put in the title of that? Uh, we, I think one of us said pretty, pretty good. The other one said, how about pretty, 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 pretty good? And then we said, how about we split the difference? Okay. I never can remember uh, how many it is. So. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. Um, but yeah, season season four has been fun so far. I like lots of Ben Stiller, and uh, it's definitely making me want to watch the producers. I get why you watch the producers before you started that season. Yeah. Oh. Uh, all right, and you can find me at Brooks ZA on all platforms. 
And I don't have any other podcasts going on right now, so just this one. And we will be back next week to talk about a vampire movie. I think it's our first horror movie that we've done on this podcast. And that's Interview with a Vampire. All right. I'll be excited. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.